Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every Sunday night at this time for Bible Crossfire. You can uh, ask a Bible question, make a Bible comment. If you'd like to try to correct me on anything I teach, that's fine. If you can prove what you're saying by the Bible, then I will change. Because the truth is, is unique. It's not both things that are contradictory are the truth. We want the truth. The truth is defined by God's Word. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. John 17, 17. And John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. Only the truth will make us free from sin. God's Word defines it. So, there's only one truth, religiously. Just like there's only one truth in mathematics. 2 plus 2 cannot equal 4 and 5 at the same time. Both answers can't be right. If you can show me where... Something I teach is wrong based upon what the Bible says, then I'm going to change. I would have every reason to change because only the truth is going to set me free from sin. Why would I want to stick by something that's not the truth just because I may have believed that all my life or just because my parents may believe it? That's not going to do me any good. You, you, you know, the Bible is like a map to heaven. If you don't follow the map, you're going to end up in the wrong place. So we need to study the map. Find out what the map says and follow it exactly according to the direction so we end up in the right place, heaven. Last week we were talking about premillennialism. Some preachers say that the physical Jewish nation or kingdom, you know, the, the Jewish kingdom that existed between the time they came out of Egyptian bondage to about 70 A.D., that that Jewish nation will be restored at the second coming of Christ. And that's what I mean by premillennialism. That's what usually that word refers to. But the Bible doesn't teach anything like that. Instead, it says when Christ comes back, not that he's going to set up a physical kingdom and reign physically in Jerusalem like David did. No. It says when Jesus comes back, that's going to be the end of the earth. It's going to be burned up. Let me read that. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, and then verse 10. It says, There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So this is talking about the second coming of Christ. The context is saying people are mocking and saying, look, Jesus is supposed to come back. Where is he? And God says, well, the reason I'm putting it off is because I'm long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But it says, when he comes back, the day of the Lord, the earth and everything therein is going to be burned up. That's the end of the world. That's the end of the earth. There's not going to be any kind of Jesus coming at the second coming of Christ and setting up his kingdom and reigning in Jerusalem. No, when Jesus comes back that second time, and he is coming, that's the end of the world. The earth is going to be burned up. That's what 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says clearly. Now, I know we got a lot of people writing books to try to make a buck saying otherwise, to try to sensationalize everything, but this is what the Bible says. And after all, if we want to know what God's going to do, wouldn't the best place to turn to to be the Bible? If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755.
this kingdom that's promised in the Bible, that some preachers want to say Jesus is going to set up this kingdom when he comes back the second time, the kingdom that's promised in the Bible was not a physical kingdom anyway. It was always supposed to be a spiritual kingdom. In John 18, 36, we read, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So Jesus is talking about his kingdom, and he's specifically saying it's not of this world. If we're of this world, his servants would fight. This is the exact kind of kingdom, the kind of kingdom that's going to fight physically, that many preachers are saying that Jesus is going to set up when he comes back the second time. But Jesus is saying here, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. You see the same thing when we read Luke 17, 20 and 21. Quote, the kingdom of God, Jesus is speaking again, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So God's kingdom, the kingdom, Christ's kingdom is not something where he's a physical ruler and he's set up to have armies to do battle, a physical reign from Jerusalem. No, the kingdom of God is within us. We're part of the kingdom of God spiritually as we submit to the king, Jesus Christ. He is the king, and we was, when we submit to him spiritually, when we obey him, we become a citizen of his kingdom. has nothing to do with being a physical kingdom or fighting physically or anything like that. And that kingdom exists right now. Again, the pre-millennial preachers are saying Jesus is going to set up a kingdom when he comes back the second time. But the Bible doesn't say that. Again, a lot of preachers made up stuff like that to try to make a buck by selling a book. I'm not judging the motive of every one of them, but some of them did make a lot of money teaching that false doctrine. But that kingdom that the Bible talks about is in existence right now. It's not something that's to come into existence when Jesus comes back. Matthew 3, verse 2, Jesus says, and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we say something is at hand, we don't mean that that kingdom is a long way off. Jesus is saying this. He says the kingdom is at hand. And if Jesus is not going to set up his kingdom for 2,000 years after that, he said this, and we'll say 32 A.D., 30 A.D., 31 A.D., in that time frame. We don't know the exact year, but in that time frame. Now, we're basically almost 2,000 years later. So if the kingdom hadn't come yet, then what Jesus said here is false, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, meaning nearby, in time, close. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call, the lines are wide open, is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Notice what Jesus says on this same point in Mark 9, verse 1. Jesus speaking says, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, Till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And what is Jesus saying there? It's pretty simple. Some of those in the audience he was preaching to at that time, at least some of them, would not die physically before the kingdom of God came. So it was going to happen in that generation. 
if the kingdom still hasn't come almost 2,000 years later, that would have to mean that some of those that were in that audience are still living today and they'll be over 2,000 years old probably. That's not obviously not the truth. Jesus said some of them standing there would not taste of death till they had seen the kingdom of God come. So obviously the kingdom of God came back then during the first century time frame while some of those still that were listening to him were still alive. Not some 2,000 years later. Acts 2, verse 30 and 31, and then verse 33 says, talking, it says that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. So what this is saying is that Christ was raised up to sit on his throne. So when Jesus was raised from the dead and then ascended up to heaven several days later, that's when he began to sit at the right hand of God. That's when he began to reign over his kingdom. So the kingdom came into existence at that time. When Jesus was resurrected, he was raised up to sit on his throne. And then several days later, he ascended up and sat on the right hand of the Father. He's reigning. Starting then, he's still reigning now. The kingdom came into existence then at that time, not some 2,000 years later. Karen from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, I'm enjoying what you're speaking of now, but where does the uh, part about the meek shall inherit the earth come in? Now, that's in the Beatitudes. Okay. And that is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right, and I didn't know exactly. I never understood what that meant. Okay. Um, let me. There's a verse I'm trying to look for in 1 Corinthians. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see if I can find that verse. I should have this, but I don't have it right in front of me. Um, Can you let me get off the line and then I'll try to find that verse? Okay, sure. Sure. No problem. Okay. We'll keep going. Can you keep listening to the program? I will. I will. And thank you. Okay. So I'm going to give you a verse in a little while that helps us understand what Matthew 5, verse 5, the meek shall inherit the earth is talking about. Okay. Thank you for your call. And so we're talking about how that the kingdom came into existence at the time at the time period of the first coming of Christ, not some 2,000 years later. Let me read another passage. For Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, that's saying in the days that the book of Colossians was written that some had been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you see that? Some are already in it. If you're translated into the kingdom, how could you be translated into the kingdom of Jesus' son if the kingdom didn't exist? So it shows the kingdom existed when the book of Colossians was written, not some 2,000 years later. And then Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John said about some others that he was their companion in the kingdom. How could he be their companion 
in the kingdom if the kingdom didn't exist. He couldn't. The kingdom had to exist. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. Now let's get back to Karen's question. It is a good question, important in light of what we're talking about. The meek shall inherit the earth. The implication is made by some that that means that sometime in the future, when Jesus comes back the second time, that people will reign on earth with Jesus Christ. And that's why it says the meek shall inherit the earth. The verse I was looking for, though, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22. It says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Do you see how it's saying that even at that time, the world... The life, death, things present, things to come, they were all possessed by the Christians at that time. So when it says the meek shall inherit the earth, 1 Corinthians 3.22 would say that would occur at that time. The meek would inherit the earth. If you were meek at that time, then what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3.22 would be true about you, that the world would be yours. And the important point is here in 1 Corinthians 3.22 that it was present tense. It was not something in the future. The world was theirs if they were meek at that time. So 1 Corinthians 3.22 shows that the meek shall inherit the earth is talking about during that time. And it, the same would be true today. If we're a meek Christian, then we inherit the earth. All things are ours. The world, life, death, all things present, things to come, all of that belongs to us, 1 Corinthians 3.22. So if we're a meek Christian, the earth is ours right now. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. Continuing on talking about premillennialism, instead of setting up the kingdom when he comes again, at that time, Christ is going to deliver up the kingdom to God. So he's not going to start his kingdom. No. Acts 2 shows that he began the kingdom began with his resurrection and ascension when he ascended up to the right hand of the Father. The kingdom began then, and we're members of that kingdom. If we submit ourselves to the king, Jesus is reigning as king over the kingdom right now. Instead of setting up the kingdom when he comes back, we call it the second coming of Christ, God, Jesus, is going to give back the kingdom to the Father at that time. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, 23-26. It says, They that are Christ at His coming, then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So this is talking about, it says, Christ at his coming. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. Then it says, then cometh the end. That matches up with what we read in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. It'll be the end of the world. No physical 1,000-year reign of Christ beginning when he comes again. This says, at the coming of Christ, then comes the end, meaning the end of the world. And it says, and at that time, it says, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. 
So instead of getting the kingdom, instead of Christ becoming king over the kingdom at his second, at his second coming, instead he's already reigning now, he's already over the kingdom now, and he'll give that back to the Father at that time. So at the second coming of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, we see that's the end of the world, and then he gives the kingdom back to God the Father. That's the end of his reign, at least the way he's reigning now in that exact way. You see what I'm saying? I hope Karen and others can see that point. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let me mention while I have a, a moment or two, don't forget about the website that my friend Shane Pack did for me. Did an outstanding job. BibleCrossfire.com. You can go there and perhaps sign up for a Bible correspondence course that, so you can learn the Bible uh, we, we used to do that kind of thing over the mail, but this way you can do it right on the Internet. You, 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 you work a Bible lesson, answer it, it's graded. You do it right there on the Internet. Or you can go to BibleCrossFire.com and ask me any Bible question. Or if you have anything you want to talk to me about Bible-wise, you can send, find a, a link there to send me an email message. All kinds of materials, the old Bible Crossfire lessons are there, the archives. You can go there if you if you don't. If you're not near a radio, you can go to BibleCrossFire.com and even listen to this program live. Go over to BibleCrossFire.com when you have a chance and see if there's anything there beneficial for you. Send me an email and let me know. Go to BibleCrossFire.com. If you have a Bible question right now, though, if you want to go live on the air, we're wide open. Lines are open. 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Now, another thing that's usually brought up in connection with the theory of premillennialism is the idea of the Antichrist. Many of these false teachers like Hal Lindsey, for example, say, well, this Antichrist is one person who comes and gets political power right before the second coming of Christ. And so, but, but the Bible doesn't teach anything like that. I believe in the Bible there are five references to the Antitype to the Antichrist. And they're all right there in the book of 1st and 2nd and perhaps 3rd John. The book of 3rd John. They're all right there. I think it's just in 1st John and 2nd John. But anyway, there are five references. And here's one of those references. This was written in 1st, is written in 1st John 2.18. 1st John 2.18. It says, Little children, it is the last time and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So, you see, he's saying at the time that he wrote the book of First John, there were many Antichrists in existence at that time. <clears throat> so far from there just being one Antichrist and one Antichrist only to come and get political power right before the second coming of Christ... This passage shows that at that time, in the first century, when that book was written, there were many antichrists at that time. Antichrist, when we look at all these passages in First and Second John, is just saying an antichrist is anybody that was against Christ or his teaching. So anybody at that time that taught against Christ, like taught that Christ didn't come in the flesh, or anything they taught that was against Christ, against his teaching, then that would apply to anybody now. Anybody who is against Christ or his teaching would be an antichrist. This theory that there's only one antichrist to come and get political power right before the second coming of Christ, 
That's just part of the fanciful theory that people came up with to sensationalize everything, but there's justification for it in God's Word. None whatsoever. Todd from Spokane, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Matthew seventeen eleven, Jesus Christ is telling us that he's going to raise up a man with the spirit of Elijah, a prophet with the spirit of Elijah right before the tribulation. Uh, he's not talking about John the Baptist because John the Baptist is dead when Jesus said this future tense sentence. And, Ch- and then in number 12, 17, tw- 12, Jesus then goes in and talks about John the Baptist. My question is, who is that prophet that is either to come or has already come? Okay, that's talking about John the Baptist. In verse 10, the disciples are asking, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. He's not talking about something in the future in regard to when Jesus is speaking, Todd. He's talking about what the disciples had said in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. It says that John the Baptist will come future tense. And he's saying, Elias truly shall first come. And then he says in verse 12, But I say to you that Elias is come already. So it was future from the time it was prophesied, but from the time that Jesus said this, he says, Elias is come already. He's referring to John the Baptist. Because verse 13 he says, They understood that he spoke of them of John the Baptist. So he's not talking about somebody in the future. Clearly, he's talking about somebody that's already come, and it's named as John the Baptist, Todd. Well, that sentence is future tense, though. It's not a, he's going to send uh-huh. somebody, and it's a future tense sentence, so it can't yeah. be John the Baptist. Yes, now, but I, it can I agree be with John you. the 12, Baptist. 12, mm-hmm. 12 is it talking about be, John the Baptist, I agree. It can be John the Baptist, just like verse 10, it's future tense, described... Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And the disciples asked him about that, and the answer is it's John the Baptist because it's future tense with respect to the time it was prophesied, as I said. So it can be future tense because it's future tense with respect to when it was prophesied in the Old Testament. But Jesus makes it clear in verse 12 it's past tense with respect to when Jesus is speaking. Elias has already come, verse 12. And verse 13 makes it clear he's talking about John the Baptist. He had already come. All of what the Bible says about this Elias is that John the Baptist came in the place of Elias. It's not a physical reincarnation. It's not that. It's a figurative thing. Elias was like... Uh, uh, he, uh, John the Baptist is kind of like Elias. He, he comes as a forerunner, comes before Christ. He's like him. So he's, he's Elias or Elijah figuratively. All of the passages that talk about this show that it was referring to John the Baptist. And that's exactly what verse 12 and 13 says. Verse 10 and 11 is talking about him coming in a future tense because that's with respect to the prophecy that we see about John the Baptist or Elisha in Malachi. It was future with respect to when it was prophesied, but it's past tense now. You see, if we just look at the next verse, the caller asked about verse 11. Elias is supposed to come. Who is that supposed to be? And I think he was trying to make the claim that it's somebody that's to come in the future, like a premillennialism kind of point. But we look at the next two verses 
we see that Elias has already come. Jesus is just continuing his answer of the question for verse 10, and it's John the Baptist in verse 13. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. A lot of people want to make a lot of premillennial points from Revelation, but remember Revelation 1.1, the very first verse of that book says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So what the first verse in the book of Revelation, a verse in the last chapter, showed that the things that were to occur in the book of Revelation were to be shortly to come to pass. They were fulfilled in the first century time frame, not something future to us. If you want a one-hour phone Bible study, I'd love to do a one-hour phone Bible study for free. Call me or text me at 256-682-9753. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me, 256-682-9753.